everyone, and welcome to the June and Joe Show, episode 15, Joe. Wow, I can't believe we made it 15 episodes. I don't know if anyone's still listening, but we're here. Well, um, I kind of threw a wrench into producer Joe's plans this morning because I'm really fired up, and I wanted to talk about um, the new California Department of Education proposal that they're going to vote on, I believe, this week. And if it passes, it'll get implemented, um, I believe, in August. But they want to make math less racist. (laughs) Well, you're right to be fired up. And they are claiming math is racist, but that's a premise I don't really agree with. I don't know. I mean, it's... I mean, I think we could have a separate debate on whether social justice lessons need to be taught to our children in school anyway, but let's just assume that social justice lessons are to be incorporated into our children's curriculum. They don't need to be incorporated into math. And the whole concept of um, basically we should explain that what the California Department of Education is proposing is that we remove advanced math curriculum from our schools because um, everybody needs a level playing field. So those kids who can actually do algebra, trigonometry, calculus have an unfair advantage and that uh, it's racist, mostly because it's Asian kids and white kids who take those advanced math courses. With the whole affirmative action thing last year, I think we've kind of beat a dead horse and the people of California have spoken that they don't want affirmative action programs. But here we are again with um, the government thinking that they can outwill the voters. Well, the other thing that's crazy is the curriculum change. It would basically say that the idea that math is linear and that there are objectively right answers is racist. Uh, if you ask, if a teacher asks a student to show their work, that that's racist, uh, which hit home to me when I read that, because honestly, I hated showing my work. I've always excelled at math. Um, I don't know, maybe I, because I'm white, I, my, <laughs> my three white kids all have varying success in math. So I don't know that it's because of, of that. Um, but, you know, I hated showing my work because I was able to do the work in my head. You know, to me, math was intuitive and I love math. I'm going to nerd out here for a minute. But one of the things I loved about math is it had a right answer. Um, And you could put the work in and time into a a problem, particularly as it got more advanced. And you either got the right answer or you didn't. And it was objective. And I like that. And um, and now they're saying that that's somehow inherently racist. And, And again, my teachers pushed me, show your work, show your work. And I hated doing it. But the reason was they wanted to make sure that I could build on what I understood in my head and and do the harder problems. It's it, it's really crazy that we go to something that is so in, truly objective, scientifically objective, like math. One plus one does equal two, and to say that it, it's somehow inherently racist to force someone, a student who's learning it, to come up with the right answer. I'm sorry, but you will never convince me that math is subjective because one plus one does always equal two. And when an engineer calculates the load bearing, you know, capacity of a building, um, I don't want them to be wrong. Exactly. It's not subjective at all. And basically, 
in an effort to um, level the playing field, we're not helping the less performing kids rise. We're telling the high performing kids that they need to be brought down. And that is the very essence of why I'm so opposed to this proposal regarding math, affirmative action programs across the board, and laws that require um, anything where we try to follow the lowest denominator rather than the highest. And that's not okay. Totally agree. And, and you're hitting on the larger issue. Um, you know, to me, it's, let's say this, there, there is clearly a challenge with education in this country and in the state. There's no question that generally speaking, schools in lower socioeconomic areas have worse outcomes. Uh, there are a lot of reasons for that. And it, to me, it is actually racist if you're saying we need to lower the standards, we need to change what actually is defined as math because people of color can't somehow achieve the same outcomes uh, if, if we stick with, with what is truth in math and other areas. I mean, to me, that's, an, that's racist. Um, again, there are reasons why schools in lower socioeconomic areas are underperforming um, we used to think a lot of it was was economics. I don't know that that's true. A lot of the underperforming schools get more funding than better performing schools. I think so much of it has been has been shown. Parent involvement is a big predictor in in a child's performance. That's not to say that that parents in lower socioeconomic areas don't care as much, if not more, about their kids. But a lot of those parents are working two jobs, or, or they've got two parents both working. Um, you know, I'm blessed. My wife doesn't work, so she has more time to be involved in our kids' school. That that is a difference in a higher socioeconomic area. But again, changing those standards is absolutely crazy. I think we can go back and think of all the policies that have been implemented since I don't know day one, but especially like right around the time of President Johnson, and then think of all the kind of ramifications that have come out of social programs and how the like dismantling of the family has made it hard for parents to be involved. And I mean, there's so many different factors, but telling kids in those areas that they're not smart enough to do math. So we have to dumb down math is incredibly insulting and so detrimental to our society. And we are going to basically be left looking outside of our country for talent instead of within. And we're already facing that problem now. We're just going to exacerbate it. Absolutely. I completely agree. Okay. So that brings us to schools. <laughs> we're always talking about schools and we happen yeah. to be parents of school-aged children, but I think it's a very hot topic for families across the county, across the state, across the country. Um, what are we going to do about schools as this school year comes to a close and the next school year is only about 100 days away? Well, and, and for those that missed it, um, the head of the second largest teachers union in the country, the American Federation of Teachers, uh, Randy Weingarten, uh, gave a gave a speech calling for the full reopening of schools in the fall. And it surprised a lot of people because she had been on the opposite side uh, of this issue during the entire uh, COVID pandemic. 
and is now calling for the full reopening. Um, you know, a lot of folks on the right are saying don't like the fact that that this uh, American Federation of Teachers president is trying to rebrand herself as part of the solution. Um, I was just glad to see her on that side. To me, that gives me more hope that, that our public schools are going to be fully reopened in the fall. Obviously, there's politics in this, and unfortunately, politics in all of COVID since the beginning. But, um, you know, again, the fact that you've got the head of the second largest teachers union saying schools should be reopened, I think is a good sign and hopefully means the schools will be reopened. I don't know. What do you think, June? I think that you could look at it um, from a more positive light and see that, think she may have seen the error of her ways and had like an oh crap moment of I need to reopen. I need to say that these schools need to be reopened and made a huge mistake. Or you could see it with a slightly more jaded perspective of once again, the left creating a problem or not necessarily the left. Let's just say folks creating a problem and then trying to come in as a hero with a solution. And I tend to lean towards the more pessimistic view of what's going on here. Um, and I think that the teachers union should not be given that credit. I agree with a lot of the op-eds out there about uh, Randy Weingarten and how she should, deserves no credit for calling for the opening of schools because she's the one who shut them down in the first place. So that's kind of where I am at. But whatever the case may be, I mean, I'm not going to say that politics should take precedence over our kids ever. So if, they are going to get on board and be on our side to open the schools, then I'm all for it. Yeah. And, you know, um, I'm kind of smiling because it you know, almost, almost makes it sound like you're saying she single-handedly is the one that shut down schools. No. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of folks uh, were responsible for all those schools shutting down. But obviously the well, and the heads of the teachers unions were probably the largest uh, factor in that uh, across the country and particularly in California. Um you know, and, and I, I agree with you in so many ways. In in some ways, what was she left to say when all of these states and the CDC, you know, are lifting all the lockdowns? I mean, how do you really stand up still and say, you know, schools should not be fully reopened in the fall? So in some ways, it was inevitable. Uh, doesn't mean that all the heads of teachers unions are saying it. Um, but, you know, we will in our next episode talk a lot about the changes with uh, with COVID and the CDC guidelines like I said, with all those latest changes, it was sort of inevitable. How do you how do you stand up and honestly, or with a straight face? I don't want to say honestly, but with a straight face, how do you stand up and say schools should be in some sort of hybrid or or you know uh, shut down in any way uh, in the fall? Well, I won't be surprised if California teachers associations take a different tack since the CDC says we can walk around without a mask mandate, but our Dear California government seems to say otherwise. Exactly. In the last few minutes of this episode, should we talk a little bit about the crazy immigration status in the country? It is insane. Sometimes I kind of read about or watch what's going on in our country, and I'm just beside myself in disbelief that um, it's 2021 and we're dealing with. Um, migrants dying off our coasts because of smugglers trying to get people into our country. And 
that's just one of the many facets of what's wrong with our immigration system right now and the chaos that's being kind of just spread all throughout our southern border. Yeah, and it's it's crazy. So, I mean, this uh, kind of came to the forefront again this week on Monday off the coast of Point Loma. Um, you know, 23 uh, illegal migrants were pulled from a, a, a boat that was essentially sinking. Uh, nobody was, was killed there. But, you know, last week... Um, there were 32 migrants that were being smuggled into the country right off the coast of, of Point Loma. Again, uh, I think it was three, three or five people died in that uh, incident. Um, in you know, they're they're saying that the number of uh, illegal immigration efforts by water are increasing uh, because there's a greater crackdown at the land borders, um, but. I don't see a greater crackdown at the land borders. I mean, there was under the Trump administration, I think both sides agree with that. Um, And and the argument is that that pushes more people to water uh, attempts. But honestly, we're seeing crazy increase in attempts, whether it's by land or by water. And, you know, uh, Joe Biden rerouted billions of dollars in COVID funds that were there for the emergency stockpile uh, to, to try and deal with the border, you know, billions of dollars. Uh, finally recognizing there's a crisis going on and the number of unaccompanied minors in the federal government's control right now uh, is something like 200,000, which is just outrageous. I mean, it's a, it's a crisis and it doesn't get enough airtime. If, if Trump was still president, it would be every single day. Uh, But we're, it's not getting enough airtime. It's such a crisis. Well, I think that it's important to note that those COVID relief funds that Biden's sending to the border are not to protect our borders. It's to pay for um, the caretaking of those that are coming into our country unlawfully. So money that was supposed to, first of all, our government has a huge spending problem. So every time there's all this like extra money lying around and very um, suspicious and unhappy, but money that could be spent helping American citizens, American residents, people who are actually lawfully residing in our country, um, being diverted because of an unwillingness to enforce border control laws. So, um, huge crisis. We're running out of time, but we probably could do a whole separate episode on that issue. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll keep talking about it. Um, you know, it's definitely a San Diego issue. I have a friend who noticed all the lights and sirens, you know, in Point Loma and went to go check it out. And I, I think we're seeing it more and more here in San Diego. So we'll, we'll keep talking about it. Uh, but thank you all for joining us on this episode, episode 15 of the June and Joe show. And we will see you next time. Bye everyone. <laughs>